0: Yo, check this out from Canty and Carlin.
1: Canty, no Carlin today. I'm Gabe so filling in alongside Michael Rothstein on Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80 on your smart speaker as well. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. It was a quick turnaround. I was shocked it happened as quickly as it did, Michael, the fact that 48 hours after Kyrie Irving kind of let it known that he didn't want to be in Brooklyn with the Nets anymore sure enough they turned around were able to get a deal done with the Dallas Mavericks and now Kyrie presumably in Dallas today for a physical might be ready to go should be ready to go by Wednesday's game when Dallas takes on the LA Clippers as we've had now some time to sit here and digest it and really understand the move a little bit more from the Nets perspective Let's take a look at this from the Mavericks perspective as well. Do you think this was something that the Mavericks should have done? Because certainly anytime Kyrie Irving's name comes up, there's going to be risk involved. I mean, as
2: long as the Mavericks went into this with eyes wide open game, if they went in thinking, we're going to be the team that fixes Kyrie. No, you're not going to do that. Because listen, I've been in the dating world for a long time. Gabe Knight, some more (laughs) years than I would like to admit. And the one thing that I have learned, among many, but maybe one of the biggest lessons that I have learned, is that you can't change somebody if they're not willing to be changed. If they are not willing to put in the effort to change, and we have not seen Kyrie Irving show willingness or effort to change throughout the course of his NBA career, you're not going to be the person who fixes that person. You're just going to have to figure out if you're the person that can tolerate that person's quirks. And in Kyrie's case, there were a lot of off-field quirks better than the other partners that he has been with, meaning the other teams. That, to me, Gabe, is what we're looking at here when you're talking about the Dallas Mavericks. So, sure, Mark Cuban, Jason Kidd, Luca, give it a shot, but just understand what you're walking into and that it hasn't worked with LeBron. It has not worked with KD. It has not worked with the young core in Boston.
1: But I guess what I kind of like about this, and, and it depends upon, I guess, what Dallas wants to do after this season, because Kyrie is set to be a free agent and he's looking for the Big Max deal, maybe four years, whatever. Kyrie can work, to me, in small doses. So if you're only going to have him for a half a season, like that greatly limits the opportunity to, for him to say or do something that might be disruptive for your team. Because the t- as disruptive as he's been, At times, off the court with some of the things he does, some of the things he says, uh, the talent on the court can also not be dismissed. I mean, he is an incredibly talented basketball player. Now, you're also giving yourself kind of a, a very small window in which to operate to try to figure out how you can have Luka coexist with Kyrie Irving. But I think they should be able to figure this out the way that Kyrie was at times able to coexist with LeBron able to coexist with again at times Kevin Durant and with Jalen Brunson in Dallas last year and i 'm sure every Mavericks fan would have just preferred to have signed Jalen Brunson instead of letting him walk away as a free agent you know having him having those two coexist and giving their past their past performances, I think they 've got an opportunity to maybe catch lightning in a bottle and try to go on a run in a Western conference that is so incredibly tight. It is hard for any teams to really separate themselves right now. And maybe this is a move that Dallas can make. If they can find a way to harness Kyrie, maybe they can make that push.
2: I get it. I do. I understand that point. And if you're looking at it from a pure half-season rental standpoint, it makes sense because... Like you said, limited time frame. But to me, this maybe goes a little bit deeper than just a limited time frame. Because if you are the Mavericks, you need to show Luca that there is commitment to building around him, to getting guys who will play with him to try and support him versus it being the Luca Doncic show starring guys you've never heard of and probably will never hear of after that. Like You need to grow beyond that. And our ESPN NBA analyst, Tim Legler, was on Get Up this morning and... He described the move, well, probably a little bit like I just did.
0: I think this was almost, felt like a little bit of a panic move on the part of Dallas. Right? They just feel like they don't have enough alongside Luka Doncic. We, we all know that. We know what it looks like when Luka's off the floor, and that's been since he got there, really. He does so much to give him a lead, goes and gets a drink of Gatorade, and an eight-point lead's now a six-point deficit, and he's got to come back in and try to save the day. So they wanted to give him another weapon, particularly when he's off the floor. So that's why Dallas did it.
1: It, again it makes sense it, it It can make sense, and I th- it is it a gamble absolutely i, I don 't think anybody can deny it 's a gamble, but when you 're sitting there from that position of man we can, we just do not have the the depth of talent that some of these teams ahead of us have, and by the way, those teams ahead of the the Mavericks, the suns Clippers, the Sacramento Kings, Grizzlies, and Nuggets, so if you want to chase those teams down, you need to have a little bit more depth, you need to have a little bit more of that star power and I don't know if there is going to be a better basketball player that becomes available over the course of the next handful of days, right? Trade deadline coming up on Thursday. So this is the swing that you decided to take because there's not a better basketball player. Granted, there's some baggage that comes with it. But from a basketball standpoint, I can understand it. I don't know if Jason Kidd, the head coach who once told a player to bump into him so he could spill a soda over the court because he was out of timeouts, I don't know if that's the best coach for this situation (laughs) to try to diffuse everything and make it all work, but it's the gamble that Mark Cuban and the Mavericks were willing to take.
2: Well, here's the thing, too. If there's going to be a coach that Kyrie Irving is going to have to kind of respect in some ways, it's Jason Kidd, a guy who did the point guard thing in the NBA – better than Kyrie Irving did. So you're going to listen to Jason Kidd when he talks because of that. Luca is also the clear alpha in Dallas. Like there's no questioning about that. Like when Kyrie goes in, he can't sit there and say, uh, this is maybe going to be my team now, because that will fly for approximately a half a second. And then that problem will already begin. So he has to go in understanding this is Luca's team. This is Jason Kidd's team. I'm here to help facilitate that you do that and you work with guys like tim hardaway jr you work with guys like christian wood to create a good third option in as a scorer And i think one of those two guys ends up being that you have a shot i don't think it's a great shot i think when you ever you run into memphis in the playoffs it's probably the end of your season but <laughs> because listen memphis the way that they're built especially with jaw They'll harass Kyrie and it will end and it will end poorly. But yeah, listen, this is a calculated, as you said, move to make it try and make a run at it. And it's one that you gave away draft capital, but it's also one that you can get out of if you realize it's not what you want to do. But then you have to go back and figure out how to build around Luca after that again, which, you know, they've tried a few different things already and none of it's really worked well enough.
1: The question I'm going to ask, it may sound, um, it may it may be a dumb question, I don't know, but Kyrie knows he's not going, but any team he goes to from here on out, unless it's a bad team, right? Unless it's, you know, somebody like the Houston Rockets or the Detroit Pistons or the Charlotte Hornets decide to give him all the money they can in a, in an attempt to lure him. He's not going to it's not going to be his team. He's not going to be the guy, right? Like does he does he realize that? I understand his talent is otherworldly, but he worked best when he realized that hey, this is KD's team. Hey, this is LeBron's team. And maybe some other, you know, some other stops have kind of gotten in the way. But if as long as, yeah, I'm with you, as long as he realizes, hey, this is Lucas' team, and I'm going to do whatever I can over this next half season to do the best that I can. Because, oh, by the way, it's also in Kyrie's best financial interest yeah. to play nice with the Dallas Mavericks because they're going to be able to offer him the most money per season now that they have his rights because of the way NBA free agency works.
2: Well, it goes beyond that, too, because if he does hit free agency and he hasn't played nice, well, teams are going to be less willing to sign him and sign him to that type of deal because now you've been at four teams and each time it's ended in some degree of poorness on your part as Kyrie because eventually it's not everybody else Kyrie Irving it's you you sir are the issue you sir are the problem or as our Nick Friedell, ESPN's NBA reporter said on Keyshawn and J Will and Max this morning the Nets probably would agree with that
0: after all the things that have happened in the last few years Friday, here comes the request. Sunday, it's done. There are two reasons why, though. One, everybody is just up and down that organization. For as much as they respected what Kyrie could do on the floor, there is a relief that they don't have to deal with all the drama now moving forward.
1: It's, it makes all the sense in the world. I remember talking to Nick on ESPN Radio when the Nets were the hottest team in the NBA, and they were rattling off 10, 11, 12 games in a row, and I asked him if the Nets had somehow found something that was sustainable, and his answer was, no, probably not, because there's no way that they're going to be able to keep all of this... It, it, you know, kind of contained because of Kyrie's past, and sure enough, here it comes, popping up. Randy Scott of ESPN Sports Center. You hear him every once in a while here on ESPN Radio as well. He was taking the victory lap of a tweet that he sent a couple of years ago when it, it went out. A, a picture of Katie on the left, Kyrie on the right, when they had both uh, come via free agency or that same offseason to the Nets. Who's stopping them? And he said, ah, probably the guy on the right. And he was correct <laughs> that Kyrie Irving was the one who ended up stopping the the Brooklyn Brooklyn Nets. And I understand this era for Brooklyn isn't necessarily over quite yet, Michael. But this has got to be one of the most disappointing super teams that has been ever put together that started with Kyrie, that started with KD, they add Harden, ship him out, bring in Ben Simmons. I mean, this is they've made it to a conference semifinals. That's it. That's all they've done. Now, granted, they were within an inch a, 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 just a big toe of Kevin Durant of going to an Eastern Conference Finals a couple of seasons ago against the Bucks, but they didn't go that far. And this was supposed to be a team that was going to change the Eastern Conference for years to come, and instead they end up being an utter disappointment. Well, yeah, but look at the guys you named, right?
2: KD has had a little bit of issues staying healthy, but he's fantastic when he's healthy. James Harden is a volume shooter at this point in his career. Ben Simmons is a non-shooter at this point and throughout his career. And then Kyrie is, well, he's Kyrie and you just never know what you're going to get off the court. And that can translate into things on the court. So when you're talking about a bad build of a super team, yeah, that's like building, like that's like looking at being like, you know, who are my three most limited and dysfunctional maybe friends that can't maybe work together all that well Let's put them together. Let's see how this goes in a professional setting. It just was never going to work, Gabe. And it seems like that was just never something that anyone wanted to admit until, I think, maybe the start of this season.
1: This is Cantia Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN Up. I'm Gabe Nigel. He is Michael Rothstein in for the guys today. And that's what this was, right? An admission by the Nets that they could not compete with this. Like, they've just decided they had enough of the drama surrounding Kyrie Irving. And now the reports are out there that, yes, they've acquired Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie. They have that first-round picks and more second-round picks. um, And they may want to then flip some of those picks, some of their own assets, to try to improve the team before the trade deadline later this week. But I... I don't know who they can acquire that's out there right now, Michael, that is going to make me go, yeah, you know what? Now I think the Nets can compete with the Bucks and Celtics in the Eastern Conference.
2: I'm not sure either. And that's part of this, right? But you have to look at it like this, too. This could be a broader play by the Nets to say, all right, don't want to really grab anybody right now. You are where you are. Spencer Didwood is a nice player.
1: Yeah, he's a good player good rotational piece.
2: But but, but follow me here for a second, Gabe. Come come down with me on this path. All right. Because in the offseason, this coming offseason, KD's going to have a pretty big decision to make whether he wants to stay in Brooklyn or not. Well, you want to, to me, have every option open to bring in players that KD wants to play with to make it work. And if KD says, I don't want to be here anymore... You want to put yourself in a position where you're not all of a sudden hanging out with the Rockets and the Pistons at the bottom of the NBA. You want to have enough capital to go and make some of the decisions so that way you're kind of reloading instead of going into a rebuild process, which in the NBA often will take anywhere from three to four years. Just ask the Detroit Pistons, who continually are in that spot for, oh, about a half decade now. So – That's, to me, what the Nets might be doing here on a larger scale of setting themselves up where not going to probably get to the finals this offseason. Instead, you're setting yourself up for this offseason so that way you know to either build around KD or blow it up and be able to bring two or three really talented guys in to keep it going instead of having to go into full rebuild mode.
1: Right now, yeah. They're an NBA purgatory. They're the worst part, I think, of – they're in the worst phase, I should say, of being an NBA team. That that part where you really... You're not building towards anything. And you can't really... Compete for a championship. Right? they got to decide what they want to be. And a lot of that, as you mentioned, I'm certainly hinges around Kevin Durant and what he wants to do. Oh, by the way, I wouldn't be shocked if KD wants out of Brooklyn this offseason because, well, he said he wanted out this past offseason as well before the Nets were finally able to make something work and and convince him to stay in Brooklyn. So would it be shocking if KD – because that's – I guess that's the other part of this is for Kyrie and the circus that comes with him, there's not as big of a circus – but you kind of forget from time to time the circus that can follow Kevin Durant around as well, from the burner accounts to him asking out to him bouncing around from team to team to team. Like Kyrie certainly is a bigger circus, and, and he has, to me, cast a shadow over KD. But there's some drama that has followed Kevin Durant in his career as well.
2: There has been, but here's the thing, and this is the difference, right? The Nets did everything in their power to try and keep KD happy when KD said, hey, I want out. The Nets were all but too happy to
1: say, okay, Kyrie, see ya. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. 48 hours. They didn't even, like, to me, that's not even trying to convince him to no, stay. 48-hour no, turnaround. That's they, amazing. They had,
2: they had no interest. That's like, again, going back to relationships, right? That's like when, when you end something with someone and they're like, oh, no. It's all fake. They're like, no, we please, this this is not working for either one of us. <laughs> It is not me. It is you, sir. This is what it is. It is not me that's ending this relationship. It is you. You may have asked out, but it is also you that was the problem that led to all this. This is what the world of Kyrie Irving is, right, is for people right now. And I I can't understand if I were a general manager or I were a head coach, why I would want Kyrie Irving on my team because you just know it's not going to end well. I'm talking about like in free agency. Not in this type of rental situation, Gabe. I'm talking about in free agency. Well, Why would you want him? I get the talent. I get that. But there's so much else that comes with it, and it hasn't been proven to work, and Kyrie's been in the league
1: for, what, a decade? At some point, people aren't going to change. At what point does he realize, and I doubt he actually does because he hasn't realized it at this point, but does going into this free agency cycle, if nobody... Where he wants to go is willing to offer him that money because who knows? Maybe Detroit wants to give him a bunch of money no, or Houston no, that, wants no, to give him a bunch would, of money. You know what I'm saying? But like, no, because but why they, would
2: you? Would, no, no, no. Why would you if you're Detroit or Houston? Now, because it, you're building if, a young core. You want to bring that situation into
1: that? Come because on. Because you want to be relevant, right? NBA owners do weird things. Like teams try to make trades so they can be the seventh or eighth seed and still be irrelevant, but to still say to their fan base, "Hey, we made the playoffs." So if you're a team that hasn't made the playoffs in the last couple of years and think you can with Ky- Kyrie, but I think most teams have have wisened up so what if he just becomes like a mercenary where he just signs one year deal after one year deal and bounces around from place to place to place because that's all he can make work at this point
2: sure why not except again if you are a coach and they're signing him to a one-year deal aren't you concerned that theoretically if you're doing that you think that you have aspirations at least getting to a conference final if not an NBA title why would you take that chance knowing there's a very good chance at some point in that season Kyrie's going to cause some sort of drama manufactured or legitimate that is going to potentially derail your championship season that's a really big ask and you have to have a really strong and cohesive locker room before that because that locker room has to shoulder that and that's a really really difficult thing to do and some of those teams gave that you might think would make sense there like a boston i can't see boston having any interest because he went there once and it failed already
1: yeah Yeah, I'm 100% there with you. This is Cantia Carlin. ESPN Radio will have more on Kyrie as the day moves on. But coming up next, Sean Payton has spoken in Denver as the Broncos have their new head coach. More on that coming up in just a little bit. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't
2: offer any
0: This is the Canty and Carlin podcast.
1: Officially, the Denver Broncos have their new head coach, Sean Payton, and his press conference happening earlier today in Denver. This is Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN App Series XM Channel lady. I'm Gabe Nudd, along with Michael Rothstein, filling in for the guys today. And ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. So, Sean Payton was a highly sought after name. This offseason there were the complications of then having to trade for him since the New Orleans Saints still had his rights, but Sean Payton ultimately decided to come out of retirement out of being a year of an NFL broadcaster to return to the sidelines for the Denver Broncos a team that was incredibly disappointing a season ago with a new head coach and a new quarterback in Russell Wilson, but here's Sean Payton today on why he decided to come out of retirement.
0: Someone's going to ask the question, why'd you get back in coach? And so maybe I can answer that right now. Skylene, when you work only Sundays in the Fox studio, and then you have Monday through Saturday, there's a point at which she looked at me and said, when are you getting back to work, buddy? So we all kind of live with this idea of we're we're going to work to this golden spot, and then we're going to retire, and it's going to be wonderful. And we're sold that on TV a lot. And my re owner, the late Mr. Benson, used to tell me how overrated retirement was, and I kind of feel where he was coming from a little bit after just one year of whatever that was. so thank you for being patient with me uh,
2: yeah retire that's that's come on Sean <laughs> come on you want yeah, you know what listen, retirement may just be old if you've got the money to be able to retire at forty five or fifty. Like for most of us here, for me, if I'm going to sp- Gabe. I'm going to speak for you here.
1: Feel free. Uh, I think I'm going to. I I like your tone, and I'm going to allow you to do so. Well, here.
2: I appreciate. It. Thank you for the permission. No, man. Like, listen.
1: I'll take my. I'll take retirement.
2: Retirement sounds lovely because I'll be on a golf course three days a week, four days a week. My dad is retired. He calls himself semi-retired, but the only thing he's semi-retired from is playing golf to go read books. Like that's really <laughs> what we're looking at right now. I, No, retirement, yeah, it might not be the super exciting thing, but retirement's what you make it, Sean, and you just clearly made it doing one day on Fox. I think you could have found other things to do, my man. I'm just saying. Not sad that you're back in the NFL, but just saying. Don't don't start knocking retirement because a lot of people in the world, including Gabe and I here, we work to get to retirement because we want to enjoy it, not because we're a billionaire who can just say, oh, you know, retirement's not all that cracked up. (laughs) That's me. Don't, come on, don't listen to Tom Benson. Like, let's be real here.
1: Yeah, that, that always helps, too. The money that you get when you come out of retirement, that, not that he necessarily needs any more money, but these coaches, Michael, and look, my, my parents are getting to the, the age where they're starting to retire. My mom just retired in November, my dad's still working. When my mom retired, like, okay, I know she's going to find ways to fill her time. Like, my dad has been a workaholic literally the entire time I've known him, so I would become concerned when he finally decides to stop being an electrician. It's the same thing with the majority of these NFL head coaches. They don't know any other way. I've always wondered... Do you really need to sleep in your office before the big game? Do you need to be grinding out that extra hour of tape that makes you sleep on your couch instead of actually going home to your family? But that's the way these guys' brains operate. They have to be doing that. They have to be grinding. And if they're not, they're, there's a little bit of something that's not satisfied within them. So while, well, yes, do not knock retirement, Sean Payton, retirement wasn't obviously for you. That doesn't mean it's you know not a good thing for the rest of us. But for him, what he says there kind of makes a little bit of a sense because he was used to one thing. And yes, while that probably tired him out and just wore him down. After having a year to refresh, he's clearly ready to jump back into it.
2: Sure, and I respect that. And I'm not knocking Sean Payton coming back. I'm just saying, hey, don't rip on retirement here, man. <laughs> like, that, that's that's my big thing. We got Jim Behem on the line to talk about retirement. Oh, well, wait a minute. I used he's, to be a student reporter covering Jim Beheim, so I'm sure I'm just going to get attacked for no reason. Hey, he's coming back in another season, he said. so. Yeah, that, he says that every season, and he, 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 he has outlasted. Eric, he—you have derailed this conversation, but he is. Well, you made it about retirement. (laughs) Well, because that Sean Payton made it about retirement. I know, but we got guys who are eighty. I mean, at least Sean Payton is what in the sixties. Sure, and I'm just saying. Listen, I have no problem, and I don't think Gabe has a problem that he retired and then came back. I I get it. You you suffer burnout. That's a real thing in any job, including this one. And you you get time away, you come back, you're re-energized, you're reinvigorated. And that's a great thing. And I think that's probably what's happening here for Sean Payton. Of course, he did credit one person in particular for bringing him to the Broncos. Person.
0: Latavius Murray is one of my former players, and he's played with a number of teams. A super guy. You guys have had a chance to cover him. He's just uh, you know, one of those guys you like being around, and, and we had a great experience with in New Orleans. And I had gotten a text. Right at the end of the season, he's like, man, we've got to find a way to get you here, me and my backfield teammate. So I didn't – when I heard that, I thought of running back. So then I thought, who else is in his backfield? And I'm like, who's your backfield teammate? And then he, he sent, like, the number three. And I said, it was Christmas time. And I said, well, be careful what you're asking Santa for. That was my response. So that, that we kind of go from there.
1: If you gave me a <laughs> list of players that had – if I were to guess – the players that brought Sean Payton to the Denver Broncos, players that he would credit for him. I don't think I would have gotten to Latavius Murray any time within the first 20 people responsible. And yet here he is giving credit to Latavius Murray for going out and recruiting him to be the new head coach around Christmas time. So shortly after they decided to fire Nathaniel Hackett out there recruiting is, is uh, Latavius Murray.
2: Yeah, that's actually not shocking because Latavius Murray was with Sean Payton in New Orleans. Sure, so there sure. is that mutual tie. And you look at the Denver Broncos roster, there are not a ton of guys that seem like they have natural ties to Sean Payton. So every coach that I've ever covered, I've covered the NFL for a decade, I've covered college sports for 15 years before that, give or take. Every coach has their guy or two, especially in pro sports, in the locker room. Like, I remember when Matt Patricia came to the Detroit Lions, they signed LeGarrette Blunt. LeGarrett Blunt had maybe a ha- one half of one game left realistically in his ability to be an effective running back, but that was his guy or one of his guys that was important for them to bring in. So Latavius Murray clearly to me right now, looks like he's one of those guys that's going to help set the culture for Sean Payton. So he needed a guy like Latavius Murray to say, Hey, listen, this locker room, it's all right. You're going to be able to manage here because I think everything Gabe, that we saw from the outside said, "Uh,
1: I don't know how this is really going to go. Well, uh, one of those things from the outside that the rumors start to swirl about is Russ Wilson and just how much freedom he had in the locker room last year. Parking spaces, extra spots for him and his guys. So that was a question that was asked of Sean Payton today.
0: I know he's a hard worker. I know he's an extremely hard worker. And I think you take that, you understand the skill set. He's won uh, a lot of games in Seattle. We played him quite a bit because we were both playoff teams in the NFC at that time. And then you go from there.
1: Yeah, I also uh, said that uh, player staff, that's all that's going to be allowed in the locker room for the Denver Broncos. Canty Carlin on ESPN Radio, brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. Coming up next, who are the best options for the last two NFL head coach vacancies? We dive into that next. Canty Carlin, ESPN Radio in the ESPN app.
0: This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast.
1: Hey, Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. No Canty, no Carlin. Today, I'm Gabe Neitzel, along with Michael Rothstein, filling in for the guys. You can always join the conversation. 888-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Sean Payton officially announced, had his press conference today for the Denver Broncos. And it seems to me, Michael, that this NFL, for most teams, off season, it's it's one of the stranger ones because it feels like it's been taking forever for some of these um, positions to be filled because we still have two left. I feel by the time we hit Super Bowl week, all the head coaching vacancies are locked up. But that's not true. We still have the Cardinals and the Colts who are looking to fill those vacancies and try to find their head coach for the 2023 season. As we sit here, who do you think are the best candidates for those positions? For the Cardinals, they have three finalists. Bengals defensive coordinator Lou, um Anarumo, Brian Flores, former head coach of the Miami Dolphins, and Giants offensive coordinator Mike Kafka. The Colts, meanwhile, are potentially going to do a third round of interviews. Uh, they have ten candidates who did a second round, or they've been mentioned as potential finalists, Um, does not include Dan Quinn, who has decided to stay with Dallas as their defensive coordinator. Who do you think are the best guys to fill the jobs in Arizona, in Indianapolis?
2: All right, Gabe, before we get into that, just one thing to make clear, because I think there's a portion of the audience that doesn't maybe understand this, because it is new this year, which is the NFL tried purposely to make something like this happen because they wanted to be more fair for coaches that were playing in playoff games, so they didn't necessarily have to rush head coaching interviews in the same week when they're prepping for a playoff game. So there were different stipulations in place for when coaches could do first and potentially second interviews. Plus, in Arizona's case, they had to hire a general manager. They chose to do that first, hiring Monty Austin for it. So they also missed out on maybe some of those first rounds of interviews to do that. So I just want to make that clear that I think part of why we're seeing this, and same thing with coordinators, by the way, because you're seeing a lot of coordinators being announced in the last few days, including the Falcons who hired Ryan Nielsen last week, his press conference was today, is because they have slowed down this process intentionally to give more people better chances at having real interviews for these jobs and not having it conflict with the playoff process as well. All of that said, Gabe Neitzel, I look at this list, and to me, with the Cardinals, I, I'm going to go with Mike Kafka. I don't want to go with Mike Kafka
1: here, <laughs> but I I'm like. I, He's the best of three potentially bad options. Plus,
2: if you are the Cardinals, you have to have somebody who you feel good working with Kyler Murray and is, will fit in whatever Kyler Murray is doing because you just paid Kyler Murray a whole bunch of money. So you need that, and to me, I think you go with the offensive guy in that particular situation. The Colts' job is intriguing. I like Brian Callahan a lot. I covered him when he was with the Lions, and he was Matthew Stafford's quarterback's coach, and he got let go And he, when, they took, when Matt Patricia took over for Jim Caldwell. and I always felt like Brian Callahan got a raw deal there. But I, I like the name Brian Callahan, and I'll tell you, I like Rich Passaccia as well, because we've seen what Rich Passaccia can do with the team already. He should have probably gotten that Raiders job, so i give him a chance with the Colts here. There are, there are a bunch of other guys on this list. The one guy I would not hire of the 10, that is Jeff Saturday. Sorry. <laughs> did not do enough, my man. What, what are you thinking when you look at this list?
1: I agree with you when it comes to the Colts. I really like Rich Passaccia, and... It goes to me, first of all, he made the Packers' special teams this year look good for the first time in seemingly decades. They've, they've had, you know, rough go of it on their special teams, return, especially the return units, since, you know, like Desmond Howard was winning Super Bowl MVP back for Super Bowl 31. So he made them look relevant this year that way. But I also just look back at the Raiders. You saw what they did after they had to deal with the whole John Gruden drama last season. And Basaccia rallied that team and got them to make the playoffs. They were a playoff team. Essentially, the same team comes back and looks what happens this year. They end up getting rid of Derek Carr with a couple of games left. Tell him to just go home as they try to figure out the quarterback position. And it it seems on Basaccia's way out of Las Vegas, every player was singing his praises that he was able to find a way to rally that locker room with all those things going on and unexpectedly become a playoff team. Yeah, they, they ended up losing in that first round of the postseason, but I don't think anybody was expecting for that team to make the playoffs was such a success that I think was overlooked by the ownership group in Las Vegas. Bisaccio would make a ton of sense. I understand he's a little bit older and the trend that right now in the NFL is to go younger head coaches, young guys that can invigorate and, and bring energy, but I think Bisaccia with all all of his experience and none of it being as a head coach I think he would be a tremendous hire for the Indianapolis Colts and by the way Aaron Rodgers signed off on Rich Bisaccia on the Pat McAfee show last week
2: well the one other thing with Rich Bisaccia, and I think this is something to really consider if you are making this hire or a future hire special teams coordinators deal with the entire roster they are the coaches that probably most approximate what a head coach has to deal with in terms of number of players and everybody on the team because they work with, oh, I don't know what, 80 to 90% 90 of the team, everybody except for like five or six people. So that's why a guy like Rich Passaccia or other special teams coordinators should probably get looked at more often, Gabe.
1: Yeah, and I'm surprised more haven't. After what John Horbaugh has done, and Grant, I mean, he got hired you know forever ago at this point by the Ravens, but all the success he's had, surprise, that hasn't led to more looks from special teams coordinators. Coming up next, oh wait, there's a big game coming up later this week. We'll get into that next. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
0: Canty and Carlin, weekdays at 3 Eastern on ESPN Radio. You can also listen and watch on the ESPN app.